Well, there's no problem. If you had a gun, shoot him in the head. Welcome to Shoot Me Straight with Dave Fields, Eddie Gallagher. Today we have Andrea Gallagher, his wife, with us, and we have my wife, Francesca Fields, with us. That one, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're going to really be interviewing Andrea around um, what it's like to be a spouse in the SEALs team. Um and uh, just her experiences will probably be less about the trial and all that stuff if you guys want to. I mean, there's so much to all that that they've been through. Um, there's lots of podcasts that we've been on um, that have explained a lot of it, but really wanted to get a different perspective from her and hear what it's like being a mom and a wife of someone in the SEALs team. So you want to add anything else or? No, that's, you pretty much said it. So yeah, obviously, uh, for the listeners out there, you know, if you want to hear more about her role and what she did, which is pretty much saved my life. And she's the reason I'm sitting here able to speak today. Um, you can read about that. And, uh, the man in the arena, we both wrote a book together about it, but, uh, today I really wanted to focus on, um, you know, everybody knows, everybody knows Andrea that, that does know the story of, you know, the, the heroic act she did of standing up and fighting against the government and the Navy, um, but to me, she was much more before that. Um, she, you know, she dealt with, uh, the time in the, uh, SEAL teams, um, all the chaos and everything that comes with that. And she did it, um, with a large amount of success. Um, she was a leader, um, among all the spouses, at least the way I looked at it. Um, you know, and she joined, um, or well, not joined, but she sort of, uh, married into it not really knowing what to expect, which is uh, beyond amazing. So I think she has a lot to uh, impart on people listening, um, a lot of wisdom, and I'm just uh, I'm excited to hear her say it. So, <laughs> Me too. What were those first years like when you first got married to Eddie and your experience of like, okay, this is what it's like to be a wife, someone in the teams? Well, I mean, Eddie and I knew each other when we were young, so like we got – we were best friends, and although we went to different high schools, um, we lived in the same town. We lived down the road from each other, and we had the same friend group. So we kind of um, were hoodlums together, I like to say. <laughs> we were pretty ornery. Oh, yeah. Um, but we had a lot of fun, and so it was like a friendship, but we really we did love each other, I would say. like It was like I had a lot of boy cousins growing up, so like I loved my boy cousins. I always had friends that were boys. And so Eddie was definitely, became my best friend when I met him. Um, you know, I think we, I think we were kind of riding that line between, oh, well, <laughs> we like each other, but like, you know, neither of us wanted a relationship or whatever. So um, the interesting part is to his point, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, you know what you were getting into when you were marrying the military. I was like, no, I didn't. Um, and I was raised in the Midwest. None of my family was really military. I didn't know anything about the military. I definitely didn't know what a Navy SEAL was. So he's like, if I'm being honest, she really didn't know. That's, yeah, that's And he true. was really vague about what he did. Yeah, he I did not. not uh, I think, well, when we linked back up um, after I had gone through BUDS and SQT and all that, I went back home, we reconnected, and... Uh, yeah, I really didn't do a good job of explaining exactly what my job was. Um, one, because I didn't like talking about it. Uh, and also, I didn't want to uh, 
use that as a way to try and impress her. Um, and also, I really had no clue what I was in for either. We uh, <laughs> got together before I started my first platoon, so. Uh. Yeah. yeah. He omitted a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It worked. Yeah, it did work. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we were actually, so that the backstory is like, yeah, we got reconnected 10 years after we had originally met. So we were like 26, 27. I was actually a single mom. I had two kids. I had little Trevin, who's over there, my big sweetie. Um, so had Trevin and Ava, and I think they were like, respectively, maybe six and two. Um, so I mean, what a catch, you know, I'm like a single mom. I've got two kids. Yep. (laughs) Trophy wife. Yes. (laughs) So, um, he didn't know. I think he was like unaware that I, my ex had cheated and had an affair and I was like a single mom raising two kids. So, uh, we have a mutual connection. His mom worked with my dad. So we kind of kept tabs on each other while he was in the military and I was, you know, doing my thing. So um, he had reached back out to my mom and dad and said, hey, can I have Andrea's number? I'd love to connect. I think, I don't know, I think you've told me, but you could say it from your perspective, what made you reach out at that point? Uh, You know, you know, I was, at that point, I was about five years in. Um, I did my four years with the Marine Corps, um, and I was transitioning over to the SEAL teams. And uh, I was making my way across country, and I really, yeah, I wanted to see how you were doing. I had no clue. I mean, I still thought you were married, um, and yeah, you. I mean, we were best friends, so I was like really interested in seeing you again before I took off to the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, and we would keep in touch occasionally. Like he would call sometimes, and I would just be able to catch up and be like, oh my gosh, like hear what he was doing. But again, like the military thing, I had no clue about. So. Fast forward, we actually, you know, reconnected during that time. He had a span of time where he had planned a whole trip. He was going to go around the country and see people and friends. And his parents were actually selling that home in the Midwest that we had originally, you know, they had lived down the road. Um, And so during that time, he basically dropped everything. My kids were part-time, like they would go, not part-time, but every other weekend they would go with my ex. And so... um, I pretty much gave him a freaking laundry list of like, I won't do this. I won't be doing this. Like I'm a, I'm a devout Christian now. Like I did it wrong the first time. Um, you're going to, these are all of the expectations. And it wasn't even setting it out just as a relationship. Cause I was like, this is so far fetched. It's, ne- it's never going to turn a relationship, but it's just like learning where we each other were at. And mm-hmm. since he was my best friend, it was so awesome to reconnect. I think the first time we actually hung out like that, maybe first 72 hours after, um, was, I was, I was at the gym. I was at Apex Gym, as Trevin <laughs> likes to talk about, Apex Gym, a total body experience <laughs> for anyone from the Midwest and Fort Wayne that remembers that short-lived gym. Yeah, I think about six months. <laughs> if that. Um, but then we kind of reconnected, and I think we spent like four hours, the first, just like totally catching up, like, what had he been doing? What had I been doing? And that's when he found out like, oh, dude, She's like a single mom with two kids. Yeah. Yep. Called that a hat trick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was back in the MySpace days. So That's right. I don't know if I even had one. And then yours was very vague. So, you know, you're like trying to find out. And like all I remember was he didn't have a profile profile picture, but he had a, I come from a land down and uh, uh, like, oh, it's yeah. on MySpace. That song. <laughs> the good old days, you could actually have a song on your profile. Yeah. We need to bring that back. Exactly. Where are you at, Tom? Yeah. We need Tom. Yeah. I, yeah. Tom needs to come back and save us for sure. So, 
So yeah, it was just a cool time reconnecting. But um, to his point, he didn't know really what he was getting into. He had gone through BUDS and SQT. That little span of time where he was going to travel around the country turned into, I think, several weeks in our hometown. I then lived in my home with my two children um, right down the road, obviously from where we grew up. And it was just like, rekindling getting to know each other again and at the end of it I think we were just like there's just no way I mean he's gonna go to the west coast he's gonna join the SEAL teams I'm a single mom I have two kids I'm barely making ends meet here and I would literally have to go through a court battle to get my children there so it was almost like I think we were kind of like well we got some obstacles to overcome yeah. if we want to make it work. For we sure, we always have but had that's, that's obstacles. How our, <laughs> that's how our relationship has been from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you went from you went from it's hard enough just like hey, going from being single to being married in that transition, mm-hmm. and then the that's big hard. transition is from <laughs> being married to having kids, and you went from being not only that you're single in the sills team Mm -hmm. to being married and having two kids Mm -hmm. like yeah i mean that's a huge jump yeah good thing for eddie and i like it's funny we're we're definitely a lot different than other people that are like risk averse we both have that like oh okay let's try it let's do it let's and people are like what are you guys doing it's like we'll figure it out along the way and we both kind of have that so i think that's why it worked well for both of us and then it was just like we just knew by the time it was said and done with that little time together it was like again it's funny but it it was way bigger than us I felt like God was like like okay you idiots you screwed it up the first time (laughs) I'm giving you another chance and so even though the obstacles were there and very real um location wise long-term like long-distance relationship and then the kids, and then we actually did end up going into a court battle to get them there. Um, but God God worked everything out, and then I think we got married in, what, 2007? Yep, right before uh, my first deployment. Yeah, so he proposed before his first deployment. How do you propose? Oh, this is a good one. Oh, gosh. You should say <laughs> like a, some like of it. Like a true Casanova. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. I took her to Ruth Chris, and then I uh, just slid the ring across the table. I was nervous. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just didn't even say a word, just sort of slugged it across the table and that's Eddie in a <laughs> to nutshell. see what she'd say. Like, he take, let the ring do the talking. Take, take Trevin get the it. ring. And it the box had like a spotlight on it, so he just let the ring do the talking. I was just like, This is so you just yeah. Yeah. But of course I said yes. Yeah. 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 And then so, uh yeah, we you uh, just you just put it on. You didn't even say anything. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone around us was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> yeah. someone just proposed. But it was like the Roost Chris in D.C., and then we we went out and burned it down with Shawnee yeah, after. My, li- my little brother, Sean, <laughs> yeah. My probably yeah. first and last chocolate martinis ever. I, was oh, like, I think, yeah, we carried you home that Yeah, night. well, that, that's, that was my initiation into the Gallagher family. Yes. Mm. And then Truly. It was, a, it was a good initiation because it got you uh, – it's also initiation into the teams, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. We had, what, what was your wedding like? Very small, very intimate. So we were like throwing ideas back and forth and I, he would be on workup and I would call him and I'm like, okay, we're going to go in this month and this date and then we're going to go to Jamaica. And then he'd be like, try to, okay, there's no way I have a training trip here or whatever. But then when it came down to it, both of our families, I think his family, especially his mom was like, 
no, like we want to be there and we want people there. So we did a really small, beautiful wedding at the Botanical Gardens that is in Indiana and um, just had all of our close family, friends. Um, it turned out lovely. Like we, I spent next to nothing on it and yep. it turned out great and it was beautiful. The kids were in it. So Trevin and Ava were in it. They looked like a little mini groom and a little mini bride and she literally thought she's like i'm marrying daddy eddie today like <laughs> she was so cute and trevin was just adorable so they had like but a butterfly exhibit so there was like butterflies and my favorite one of my favorite is like a monarch butterfly and they had monarch butterflies flying around so it was just really special and everyone chipped in like my girl my one of my best girlfriends did my hair another girlfriend did my flowers and I got my dress, like, at Macy's. I still love it. It's just, like, a simple. Um, but, yeah, Eddie shows up. And only condition I gave him was, number one, arrive, like, be there. Because he was on the West Coast and they were training all over. And then I was, like, we. I knew from the um, backstory about his grandfather, which he's a lot like his mother's father. He showed up to the wedding with a black eye. And I was, like, do not show up with a black eye and what do you think he did he showed oh, yeah. up with a black yeah, there's eye. a little shiner showing up yeah gotten a little little tiff the night before a couple nights before you were in training though but that it was, was also from... in training but it was that was from getting decked by of course see that else. was a lie yeah lies <laughs> uh, more omissions we're finding out more yeah um, that was the that was from the bachelor party my my friends threw me and fort wayne uh, oh, which okay. was literally just consisted of going to a couple bars and then ending the night in a fight. So they kept it, kept it real. Yeah. Gall yeah. Gallagher tradition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Mm. Yeah. It was a small intimate wedding, but it was awesome. It was. I, I couldn't have asked for anything more. And, you know, I put in no work uh, at all. Um, that was also the theme of. <laughs> yeah. I was training. <laughs> he trained me well <laughs> from the get go on yeah. the SEAL teams. Like, you will be doing pretty much everything. <laughs> I will be being a real-life G.I. Joe. Yep. Everything revolves around this job. Um, yeah. But I'll say, you know, the first year, um, I I always pat myself on the back. I did put in a lot of work being a, new guy, being a new guy and then trying to make our relationship work. I would, you know, if I had 48 hours or 72 hours, I would drive from San Diego to Indiana. Um and spend time with her and the kids as much as possible. And, you know, it, it was worth it. It was uh, super tiring, but it was definitely worth it. Yeah. So. He would come, he would show up and put on a movie and then, like, pass out. <laughs> but at least he was there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I started to catch on, though. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> but that was through your very first workup. Oh, yeah. So it was, I've, I did not know. What I know now, I'm like, I can't believe he did that. Yeah. I cannot believe he did it. Looking back, I don't know how I did it either. Um, that was, once again, God was giving me the uh, the energy to be able to accomplish all that. Although, because I don't see any other way. Yeah. For sure. So as a wife, like it it almost seems like, hey, you're not doing any, anything. But now you look back and knowing what he did, you're saying. No. I, no, from the get-go, he really did put a lot into the relationship. He was always very attentive, even when he wasn't physically present. So, like, I had gone from a marriage with, like, someone in the same room that was completely not there and was not present and didn't have any, I you know, it wasn't a good, good situation. So, to me, it's funny because I think being a single mom kind of conditioned me pretty well to the military. Like, um, because I was kind of like, oh, I've been doing this. 
But then I had someone that was like, you know, truly loving. He is my best friend. And even it was a thousand miles away, he did a, he did his best. Um, so it's not that it's just the reality of the nature of the job. As far as through the years, it's like, you really have to be very, very self-sufficient and independent because they're just not around. It's just the nature of the job. It wasn't him. Um, and he, so it, I don't know. It's just a lot to deal with, with when you're in the SEAL teams. But I had no idea. So when we got married, he actually ended up deploying. We had Trevin's birthday, Eddie's birthday is like a day after. And then I think you deployed. Yeah, I think I deployed like a week or two later. Yeah. So yeah. that was May of 2007. We remained for a year in um, the Midwest. We were in Indiana. And then we basically started the process to, after we were married, like we submitted to try to relocate the kids. That turned into a court battle. But then we did actually end up, we physically relocated the whole family um, to the home that he was in, in um, Point Loma in 2008. So we were in, in San Diego from 2008. Yeah. Um, <coughs> well, that was that. We got that home actually the last month I was on deployment. So I was trying to get a home in military housing while we were trying to work all this other mess out. I mm. remember it was just, uh, it was a lot, but it worked out. Yeah. So that when, once I came back from that first deployment, uh, she, had, she and the kids moved down and pretty much, yeah, we were a family and a new home or in military housing, at least. It was our home. <laughs> it was we nice. It, I, I, it was the best military housing I'd ever lived in. So yeah, it was in Point Loma of, yeah. um, in San Diego. It is, it's a great military housing. That, and that's where we resided the course of his entire career. Yeah. Did you get to know a lot of the other team team guys' wives? Yeah, actually, so one of his guys that was in his, um, what's it called, your sister platoon, because you were in, what, Delta at that time? Yeah. And then Brandon, our buddy Brandon, was in Charlie and ended up, Eddie just knew from meeting his wife um, that we were going to hit it off. So he, like, prearranged. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a prearranged friendship, but she did turn out to be one of my best friends. We started a Bible study together. We raised our kids together. We live, like, on the corner houses two streets away, like, on the same street, but two blocks down. Um, so, yeah, it was like learning the ropes and drinking out of a fire hose and all of the things, but it was good. It was special. The kids were, you know, the kids were young, and they adapted, and I think I think we – we managed pretty well for everything that we went through to even get to that point. Uh, but then learning the ropes of the SEAL teams was really, like, eye-opening. I was like, what did you what did you get me into? <laughs> uh, so that was, you know, yeah. a learning curve and just – I clung to my faith, though. That's what got me through. I mean, that's what's always got me through everything. But, you know, it was challenging because it's, it's no joke uh, what, they, what they go through. And then even on, I think – the first couple deployments, we had a lot of losses. That was like at the height of the war. We had people injured and maimed and killed, and it was like, holy crap! And that continued on. Like we didn't, we didn't stop with that. That was a theme throughout our career. Yeah, we lost a lot of people. So, yeah, that was challenging for sure. Jeez, is did you know any of those wives? Yeah, yeah. So. The Bible study group that we started, those wives, the the core group, were their husbands were all together in SEAL Team 1, either in Charlie or Delta predominantly, and then the wives were their wives. And so we all 
were getting pregnant together. We were doing life together. We were, you know, we were living our lives together. And it's it's very tribal. So it's like if you're at SEAL Team 1, you're with SEAL Team 1. And, you know, you're with those those people. And I think that was like you were there the bulk of your career. Um, yeah, well, I spent the bulk of my beginning of my career there. And then mm-hmm. I think it uh, evened out at 7. But, yeah, I mean, even – even though when I went to seven, the the people from SEAL Team One remained like our mm-hmm. closest uh, That's fa- our core family, group. yeah, which they are still to this they day. They still are, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it kind of works like that in the SEAL teams. Like the people that you originally like, either go through buds, go through the first initial platoons. That's like your core, your and trauma then, bond. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's ex- that's exactly what it is. I think. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, I got, so obviously coming in, getting done with the first deployment, you guys came down Mm -hmm. and we were a family again, or a family for the first time in our new house. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as the, my career continued, obviously the challenges never went away. Mm -hmm. Um, and like you had said before, yeah, we dealt with a lot of death, a lot of injuries, um, with that comes, the drama and sort of toxicity that can come along with that. Um, how did you deal, you know, I, I know personally like watching you, but um, how did you deal with all that as, as the career progressed? Because um, personally for me going through and I'm now looking back at my career, I could see the changes. I can pinpoint the changes in myself as I was kept on deploying to combat zones after combat zones. Mm-hmm. How, what about you? I feel like it's a little bit of a blur. I'm such like a present moment and forward person. Like, it's not like I forget the past, but like, you know, I feel like I'm present to every day and then I'm like, okay, that's done. Um, So it'd be harder for me. I think you're better at pinpointing like time frames, but um, I mean, I really had to give it over to God. I mean, seeing your struggles when you lost people was super challenging. It was hard for me too. But I think they're, you know, as a wife and you have children, my responsibility was always to be there for you, but to be there for the kids. Mm -hmm. And so, so much of, I think, what you were going through and just the way that I look at it looking back was like all the pressures that were put on you as a SEAL team member had a trickle down effect on our family. For sure. And we, I don't think we were even able because we were just always like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, but... The one thing I remember, I had a good girlfriend who she's like a marriage and family therapist, and she's like, there is such a thing as compassion fatigue. I definitely got fatigued Mm. with like, it was always something. And there's a lot of training-related deaths. There's a lot of, um, there's a ton of infertility because the guys are always jumping at high heights. They're always down at low depths. So people struggle with infertility. There's marital issues. There's obviously regular, everything that everyone goes through, you know, cheating, affairs. But then you're talking about massive amounts of death and injury and just the workload that they put on special operations. I think eventually, like maybe 20 years from now, like they do with like, this is the greatest generation. They'll do that with Eddie's generation. It's, they're going to, they're going to be like, okay, these people like Eddie entered in at, you know, 1999 or whatever, or 2000, right before 9-11. And these guys served for 20 years of the longest War. And we're going to look back and do, I hope as a country, I hope we'll do the due diligence to do a lot of self-examination. 
they put the bulk of that on special operations along with many other people but it was a it was a lot and I think like there was just most of it I had to go to God I had to like turn a lot over I had to sacrifice my own you know and I wanted you around and I wanted you present but like uh I always tell you, I think the best, the movie that did it the best, because we always relate to each other or things <laughs> in movies, is um, the, what was it with Kyle? Chris, American Sniper. Chris Kyle and yeah. Taya Kyle's story. And the way that they showed it, they just synapsized her life and like caring for kids, having a baby. He'd come back. He was there physically, but he was not there mentally. And I was like, there it is. Yeah. That's it. That's that's what it is. It's because it's such a devotion and an obsession with these guys, and they're trained up. And it, it is a warrior culture, right? And so I've read different books about, like, and all these guys. Oh, my gosh. The very first platoon was, like, Aaron Vaughn and Brad Kavner and Eddie, and, like, they all lived in a little house. I lovingly call it the gingerbread house because it looks like a gingerbread house <laughs> on D. Is it D. In Ave? D. Avenue in Coronado. In Coronado. And, um... That's where I really cut my teeth on like getting to know about the community, and it's just crazy to think about like all of those people now. Either, um, you know, Aaron passed away, and then Brad passed away in a training accident, and then they ended up throwing Eddie in jail. It's just like the trauma patterns throughout his career are like insane. I think they should do a documentary on just your, even if, and I'm sure everyone could say that, right? But yeah, that's like that's. Throughout the community, I think yeah. every, everybody you talk to anybody and from any team, any platoon during that time, yeah, everyone has Those their stories. own trauma and just crazy stories like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the that's the nature of the beast when it when it comes to doing that job. Um, I got a I got a hard question. Yeah, <laughs> so how was it difficult in a sense, Eddie having almost feeling like hey. This is too much at times. This is uh, like, okay, I'm done. Like, we're done living this life. Like, but they've almost had to choose the military over their family for a time period or feeling like, hey, yeah. no, no, we're your family. But, you know, in a sense, like, the teams and the boys almost have to take priority. There's no confusion in that. No. If you're a successful marriage, there's zero confusion in that. It's the teams and the guys and then no matter how good your marriage is or like I said like we're best friends but that that was first and I would all so I prayed for years I was like Lord just like remove the idol of the SEAL teams from his heart because it it truly was an idol he was and not I'm and I don't want to say that in a negative light but and I think we can get into this later but I just think anything that you have at that level, it's so hard to balance it properly. I was just seeing, you know, um, there's so many good things. Like we've met the most amazing, incredible people in that community. But the, but the balancing act is almost non-existent. It's, it's, it's like so (laughs) out of balance (laughs) because, you know, 
they do. That's what they're called to do. That's what special operations is. Like you put that above everything. You put you put your life on the line. You sign on the dotted line. So there's zero confusion about it. Like if you're going to go into it and think like, oh, I'm going to get what I want in this and he's going to be present all the time, like you're, you're going to just end up maybe not making it. Um, so for us, I think it was me just learning that rhythm of like, I know that he does truly love me and the children first. But as far as the perspective of the reality of his commitment is to the military and that's his job. And, you know, we were all in it together. We're fighting the war on terror. And at that point, everyone was in it together, right? Like 9-11 happened and all the members of Congress are like standing, singing, you know, God bless America on the steps. And it's like a couple of years in, people forget about it. But we were in it. I mean, we were in it day in, day out, and we all felt called to it. So it was just you had to um, understand that prioritization and not take it hard. And so for me, it was just a constant, like, learning how to, like, die to my own needs and put God first and love him in the way that I could. But there was just so much tumultuous stuff that you're just constantly dealing with, whether it's, like, the stress level that they're exposed to or the blast that they're exposed to and the things. And like he said, you know, you can see the shifting. And I was like, this is not who he is, you know, like, and then there's a lot of alcohol abuse. There's a lot of just, you're constantly dealing with other people's drama too. And so I just think the best thing that we did was like, we just continually made an effort to prioritize um, each other and our children and our family and put God first because my, my, that was my guiding light, right? My, my premise was if we have God at the center, or at least if I do, even if you're here or there or whatever, it'll, it will eventually get back to where we need to be. And that's how I dealt with the whole career because it was like just very tumultuous. Would, would this, would this be correct? And I'm really asking both of you guys, like, at that high of a level, um, you almost have to put the teams first above your family for that time. So, yeah, I'll answer this one. Uh, you know, from my experience, you know, in the teams, you saw two different types of individuals, especially when they were married. You know, you saw guys that were, like, excellent family men. They prioritized their family first and sort of they put the team second. They did not do well in the teams. They The reputation was not that great. Um, it, they weren't looked highly upon, even though they were doing the right thing. And then you had guys that put the teams first, and the family came second. Um, I had a very difficult time balancing those both out, even though I tried to, I tried to like, balance it out as best I could. Um but it's, it's you know, the teams do come first. And I remember a vivid conversation. I think it was after my second or third deployment we had in the kitchen. And uh, she, you know, we were having, I don't know, an argument or just talking about the teams and the, everything that was going on. And she said, no, you put the teams first. And I kept denying that. Uh, and then I finally just realized, I'm like, yeah, I do. I just straight up said it. I was like, that's, the, yes, that's the way it is. Um which it was hard, you know, it's hard to say, um, but it didn't, it's like she explained, like, I definitely did, I loved them more than anything, and I think losing them to the teams would have been 
the worst thing ever. So, I mean, all you can do is just keep putting one foot forward after the other, trying your best on both sides. Um, you know, and we did our due diligence. You know, we had – I'd come back from deployments, um, you know, and you're a little jacked up, um, and usually you have that reintegration reintegration process, and we went to counseling. You know, we we definitely went out of our way to try and make it work, um, and – I think, you know, it, yeah. it paid dividends. You have to. Yeah, I think you did a good job of balancing it. I mean, the thing is, like, he didn't do anything, like, trust-breaking. Like, you know, he wasn't out running around. I mean, yeah, he was doing, like, hanging out with the guys and getting in fights and drinking probably too much. But, I mean, he never did anything to break my trust um, in, in the way that, you know, just – I, again, the toxicity can sometimes be, and you're around, he was around that a lot. He was around a lot of all, all of the things, the temptations, like, you know, um, that, that men naturally have, but then you're traveling, you're out, you can go do what you want and mess around. And, you know, he, he was in the military for a very long time and that was really hard for me. I wasn't okay with any of that. I'm, I'm very, very, very hard line on anything toxic like that, like porn or this or, and I mean, it's a part of the community, you know, it's like this alpha male like thing. And I'm just like, I don't think that makes you a man. I think being a man is loving your wife and being a good husband. And yes, you're allowed to be a warrior, but, um, we just, I just saw a lot of destructive behaviors that I feel like for us, it made it more clear. I was like, and I've always said, I'm like, Anyone can have a subpar mediocre marriage, anyone. Um, and but it takes a lot of work to have a good marriage, and same with kids. The two biggest, mo- most life shaping things I think are marriage and children. And anyone can be a crappy parent. It takes a lot of work to be a good parent too. So uh, you know, I just think that we we were constantly evolving, and even you know as a couple. Um, I had to make concessions. I had to be understanding. I had to know that in his heart he wanted to be home and with us, but that was not the reality, especially after 9-11 and the entirety of the war on terror and what they were calling them to do. So there was a lot of juxtaposition of like, you know, you need to be able to be a very independent person. You need to be able to, I think, have a higher power that's guiding you to say that this is purposeful and although it's scary, you know, um, and... It's so funny. I always talk about the other two favorite ladies in his life, his mother, um, Melissa, and my mother-in-law, who I love, and then his grandmother, um, Dolores, and they're a little bit of a worry warts. And so when they would call me <laughs> and they'd be like, and especially Dolores, I'd have these conversations with her and I'm like, I'm like, grandma, listen, I know it's hard, but like Eddie is not that person that's going to sit on the sidelines. If there's a fire, he's going to run into it. And I said, if we take that away from him, he dies slowly. And I believe that, like, that's what I truly, and that's what helped me sleep soundly at night. And I was like, God, he could walk in the road and get hit by a car or, you know, whatever. So there is a lot of fear because the reality is, yes, they could be killed at any moment. And I planned his funeral a thousand times. I was like, it's going to, more than likely in the community, I was like, it's only a, ma- it's a Russian roulette. Like we had so many people die. It was like, who lives, who dies? You just don't know. But, um, you had to almost make peace with that. Like, well, if he dies, he dies doing what he loves. And it's like, you had to make peace with in a, in a big sense. It's like, you guys 
uh, and I don't mean this trivial, uh, like you guys underappreciated that y- y'all are the, just as much of the Warriors as them because you're behind it. You're not getting your needs met. I'd say even more so. Yeah, honestly, I and I'm not I'm not saying that like trivially, like yeah. like for honestly, you you have to be okay with. I mean, you cannot. I, I don't see how you could put at least for a time put family first and rush in you know first person in on bill and put your life at danger every day right like if if your family's first and you're you're going to be more conservative you're going to try and like you know you're yeah. it's well you're all you're all in and yeah. you're when it comes to the job and whatever platoon you're in you want you know, the expectation is you are all in no matter what. Like, I am here to take a bullet for you, and hopefully you're here to take oh. a bullet for me. And now that's easier said than done, but your actions explain, you know, your actions show that you're willing to do that. So yeah. if you're putting the platoon first, then your actions show, like, okay, this guy is willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's the way it was sort of looked at at times. Um, and, you know, going back to the warrior thing where – yeah, like, oh, yeah, we, we all thought we were warriors, you know, back then. And we did have warrior aspects to us. But I think we were all, you know, you want to call it warriors or whatever. But we were all in training at the time, right? Like, even though we had passed buds, maybe we had a couple combat deployments under our belt. Mm-hmm. That did not make, that does not make you a warrior. And I can say this now reflecting back. It's what makes you a warrior is be able to do that job and then also taking care of your family and putting them first and and you're able to um, balance both those out, which is obviously another easier said than done. But I think if you keep pushing forward in that community and you allow yourself to grow and then keeping God at the center of, of everything, then you can develop yourself into a warrior. And usually in the community, you know, the younger guys, they're living that young warrior lifestyle, which, you know, they're, they're out partying, which, you know, they should, it's their young twenties and, you know, they're fresh into the job. They're going out, you know, drinking, having fun. Um, but as you get older in that community, I think, especially if you're married, you realize like none of that matters. It's doing the job and then taking care of your family. But that takes time. Do you yeah. see guys get stuck in that oh, where they don't yes. mature? Yeah. It, it's like their boys playing at war. Well, still, we like have a, I specifically always <laughs> say it to my I still talk about it to my girlfriends that are like their husbands are a decade year, you know, years older than us or whatever. And I'm like, they all have Peter Pan syndrome. Like, and I say that in the most loving way. I love that about them. They're all very childlike. They're all very like they are. They're they're real life GI Joes. Like it's awesome. Um, but I mean, the guys are my brothers. The women are my sisters. Like they, the community itself, as many things of. Um, hardships that come through the battlefield of war is and many beautiful things. So, I mean, it's like we have um, for sure lifelong relationships with people that are, they are our family, you know? And so I think that um, it's what you make of it, but it is a constant balancing act. And because of the trajectory of it being so n- nonstop, it means you have to work harder. And, and I will say th- some of the other positive aspects are I, th- I think it's good to have – I feel like it's helped me to have a finality sense. Like we're all going to die one day. The SEAL teams really put that for me like at the forefront. Like l- knowing I could lose him, knowing 
that he might not come home, you think about everything. Like every dinner that I would go to with him, you know, when he gets back or reintegration and reintegration, usually if they're gone six months, you can count on six months of a rocky reintegration. Now, when you get more experienced and you, you know, the training wheels are off and you're like, okay, we've done like seven appointments. We're good. Like you're, you're, you're better. Like he came back better by the end of the, the last appointment. It was like, we didn't skip a beat. Like I was like, you're good. I'm good. Whatever. Ironically, that's when all the drama came out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, we cannot yeah. do anything easy. But um, it was the best appointment, hands down. Like, I had hit my stride. And the women I've seen in that community that are hands down the most successful are the ones that are very independent, but they have their own identity. There's people that get into that community because the guys are so immersed in it. It's like the women want to wear the trident. And it. the people that I saw do that, it was – it. It just didn't didn't seem like the best strategy. It seemed like the women I saw that were developing their own skills and learning their own things and had their own jobs and purpose. And yes, they were a contributing factor and a huge supporter of their husband, but they also knew how to be themselves independently while they're gone nine months out of the year or more. So, um, you know, there there's a ton of things that I account as a huge blessing that at the onset, I might have seen as like, man, this is really, this is really challenging. Like he's not around, you know. I'm basically raising the kid as kids as a single mom for the majority of the year during a training cycle, and then a deploy. You know, workups, deployments, and training cycles—they're just not around for for years. Very consistent, but I will say it really makes you harvest those really special moments, and I think that's still why. Like he can tell you, like I'm like. It's a holiday. It's Thanksgiving. We're going all out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're doing this, this. And then if, it, if like, you know, it is. It's, like, because I was conditioned. Like, we have so few moments of time together under one roof. And we really weren't under one roof that much during the career. Yeah. You know, and then even even when he got out, it was, like, Trevin was away at college. And then we had a sweet spot here for the first time in, like, COVID where it was, like, everyone was under one roof. And we looked at each other and we're, like, this is, like, the first time we've all been consistently together. Mm. And that's a sacrifice you make when you join the military, you know. So it's, like, we really appreciated that during that time. What's it like when, like, so they coming in, it's like you have your house in order, everything running the way, that, and then they come back in for a short period of time. Is that tough sometimes of like, okay, how do we ha- – like I already have, you know, a pattern or a system. This is how things yeah. go, and now you're interjecting in here. Well, I mean, I'm sure we had our share of struggles, but in my mind, like, again, I come from a biblical perspective. I believe that the man is the head of the household. While he was gone, it was my responsibility. And the the women and the wives that I saw that, like, had it so rigid that as soon as the guy came back in, he couldn't get a breath in or, like, oh, that's not the right way to do this or you can't change a diaper like that or this is not the way. And, I mean, I still do that. I'm like, can you load the dishwasher this way? So I'm not <laughs> saying those things end, but – I really did try to not be that way. I really tried to not judge him on, like, how you want to um, interact with the kids because the way that I interact with our children is not the same that he does, you know. And, like, when our son Ryan was born, I had come from, like, um, 
again, just like not having someone that was really present to like the miraculous nature of like when I had Trevin, he changed my life. I mean, he was like a, such a pivotal moment in my Trevi. But having someone that didn't love me as a spouse and then having this child, um, it just, it made me way less selfish and way more grounded and it, and it shaped me in such a way that changed my life forever. And so I really, I grew up so much when I had, well, I was only 19 when I got pregnant and 20 when I had Trevin. So obviously I was still very <laughs> young, but, um, having Trevin and Ava, and then I always wanted to be a mom. That's all I wanted. I just, I never grew up being like, I want to be this when I grow up. I'm like, I want to be a mom. And, um, I didn't have someone to share that with. And so, like I said, like with Eddie, when he would come back, he was so invested and did whatever he can, you know? And like, he looked like this. He had this like big, massive beard and he had a front pack carry with Ryan. (laughs) 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 And would rock him up and down the streets of Point Loma and like take Ava to school and take Trevin to school. And it's just like, I can't say it enough. Like you can be with someone who's not present in the same room and it'll slowly kill you. Like it'll slowly make you feel very unloved. And like, I think he did a great, I think you did do a great job. I think that the demands of the SEAL teams are a real thing, but um, it was just such a cool thing to like experience how much we grew as individuals and as a couple. And I think people always did recognize us as like, dude, they're like a powerhouse couple. Mm-hmm. They love each other. They love their kids. And we we love hard, and we would fight hard back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There's some uh, there's some good stories out there. Oh, yeah. The old Gallagher fights. Oh, yes. A lot of our friends are like, oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> the Gallagher's are at it again. Yeah. Um, but it was a special time, and yeah. I just think, you know, we have a ton of super special memories that came out of the – the very shaping nature of what it provided us, you know, good and bad. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, cool. I, I was definitely spoiled um, being married to her, you know, not, not everybody has that. And so like you, you asked that question, you know, coming back from deployments. Um, yeah. It was the integrations like back into the household were, were never super difficult because she immediately was like, okay, you're, you know, you're in charge. But then I also was, uh, aware enough to be like, all right, some of this stuff I don't, I, I, I don't know how to do or whatever. Um, so it was, it was a good mixed bag of like, she maintained, you know, order and discipline. Um, I still do. Yes. And while I'm more of the <laughs> free, free spirit, <laughs> like what's up, let's go party. I mean, I had You've that. You've done better. You're yeah, way better now. I had it more back then just because, you know, you're only home for a short amount of time. And I think, and like she had talked about, you know, death is sort of around the corner all the time. Like it's a possibility. So for me, I'm like, I don't want to leave on a trip with the last memory that of me, like disciplining yeah. these kids. Um, but, you know, right or wrong. Yeah. Now that I'm out, it's, you know, that transition, I'm, I'm trying to get there still. <laughs> you're, you're way better. Yeah. You're way um, better. You're like, don't do that. Here's a cookie. Yeah. yeah. I was a, yeah, I was a spoiler for sure. Um, yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. I mean, really, again, it's part of the rhythm of the community, and the community does have a battle rhythm, and everyone does it their own way. But I have to say, like, 
I'm super proud of what we like did and accomplished in the community and the way that we showed up and yeah, good and bad. We shared it all with people and people that struggled. We were like, we've been there. We've done that. We've had our struggles. This is our demons. And that's, I think what we were known for is we really, anything that we learned, anything that we grasped in the community and what made us stronger, we would try to share openly with other people because, you know, it's just, I mean, the divorce rate for first wives is like 90%. Counting second wives, it's 120% divorce rate in the SEAL teams. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Another factor I think that contributes to how well we did was, you know, going back to that first platoon, that family that we still have, this is like a known fact. You know, I think it's a group of like seven of us. Everyone is still married. Yeah. Everyone is still married. If they didn't pass away, they're still married. That's unheard of. Um, So it's, I think that that's a big contributing factor as well to where you're around, you know, good dudes, good wives. Um, Everyone's trying to make it, you know, and everyone's trying to make the the best marriage possible out of that. Um, So to me, you know, just me, you know, being gone, being around those individuals, um, it just helps you out, you know, maintain that focus on the family while you're training. And then I think the wives, they, you know, having the Bible studies and getting together while we're gone also helped out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, there's a lot of um, those wives, I would say, did a lot oh, to maintain those marriages and keep them together. So, yeah. And like you said before, Dave, you know, they are the true warriors. Like they are the backbone. It's we could not do what we do, do like be able to focus on our job 100% without them. I say that not like uh, not trivial, like not like no, a simp type, like oh, like let me just. It's like honestly, like yeah. authentically. No, like it's they really one hundred percent fact. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you look at uh, that's what I was gonna say about the gingerbread house. Every time you would go to their house with Aaron and Brad and Eddie, they had three the movie three hundred on like a loop. For probably that, a year. Yeah, that and Gladiator. Yeah, plus. <laughs> and so, interestingly enough, like, there's that really poignant um, part in the movie where, I mean, his wife is just, like, a goddess, you know, and she's, like, either come back home with your shield or on it. And, like, that's the other thing. You're around such strong women that you inevitably arise. And same with him. He's around such strong men of character you inevitably rise. And so you become part of this like warrior culture, warrior community. And I do have to say, I mean, it's funny because I was thinking about this before I came, like my, my Andrea is the female version of Andrew, which is warrior. So Andrea means womanly warrior. And then my middle name is Eva, which is like mother of all. Cause I'm named after my, my grandmother. Um, and I just think, there are truly people that are called to that community. And it's like, um, I was reading a little book and it talked all about the Spartan community and the women were a critical part of that community. And they believed in the cause and the mission of, you know, the Spartan Sparta and the culture as much as the men. And it was like, these kids were groomed from the time they were little up. And all of those things are intrinsically they're still there in the framework of the SEAL teams. And, like, even Brad's quote is from, like, remember when I showed you that in the book? And it's like, 
they truly are. There are those characteristics of like this aspect of that warrior culture. And I think that's what the world needs right now. It's like people need people that are strong to stand up, to go into the burning buildings, to fight, to Mm -hmm. not take the crap, you know, of this day. But I think there's, those are the aspects I think that we choose to carry on, you know, in our civilian lives is that same tenacity for life. Like we've got to keep on leveling up and delivering on, even though we're not really in dedicated service anymore, but he served 20 years. And it's like, you know, you do that every day in your daily life with your children or the way that you show up. So I think like it taught me a ton being in that community. And it was a huge blessing, good, bad, and ugly. It was all a blessing. Yeah. You feel like God put y'all through so much. And I'm about to get, I have, I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to just hit some top ones. But put you through all that stuff really to lead you, you guys. Not only did you go through all that, what, you almost had 20 years? Yeah, a little over 20. A little over 20 years, right? Eight mm-hmm. deployments, right? Nine. Nine deployments. Yeah. Nine deployments, 20 years, three kids, like all that. And then at the end of it, mm-hmm. like it's like, oh, you think <laughs> you've grown. You think you've grown. It's like I'm going to take you to a whole other level of growth. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's, it, I, I would have never, if I'm in your shoes, I would never have pictured this plan, right? Yeah. Of, and yeah. then right towards the end of your career, this scandal, I, I don't know the better way to put it, but this goes through. Shit Pretty storm. much. When yeah. that yeah. happened and you had to, like, all of a sudden, Eddie's out and you have to step into this whole other role mm-hmm. and, yeah. uh, would would you say at first you really felt by yourself like I mean th- like you had to dig down deep and literally take on pretty much the government? I mean, like. <laughs> um, I d- I don't ever feel alone. I've always I always have had such like a strong connection with God. Like even when I was little, I always I always feel the presence of God. I I ask people that too, and people are like, I don't have that. And I'm like, I always have had that. Even when I'm little, I, I feel this guiding presence. So I I thank God for that because, um, again, the irony of all of this, like I we, we had a lot of ups and downs in the SEAL teams. And him coming back from deployment sometimes was just a wreck, a train wreck. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, my gosh. But the battle rhythm, like I said, that I established for myself is if he's gone six months, I give him a six-month, not a pass, because I always had high expectations for him. I was always like, this is not the way it's going to go. Um, you know, we're, you know, this is not I, – I don't want you, you know, drinking like this. And, I mean, I saw him lose friends, and he would just – like his, his eyes would be wide open. And by the end of the night, you know, over-drinking and – my girlfriend, Jen, and I, we both are married to cute little Irish sprites. <laughs> and we call it crossing over where, like, their uh, their pupils get dilated. And you can just see they're not there. They're, like, you know, in the spirit world. And, I mean, because he wasn't dealing with the losses front on the, on the front side, he was suppressing it. And so it would come out, and I'm just like, this is not the way to deal with this, you know, because the pain was there. But, it, again, the battle rhythm forced him to just, like, let's just steam through this and forget it and whatever. 
So I will say there was a lot of like uh, trauma that we had to traverse through the years that grew me into the person where I think by the end of it, um, you have all of those deployments, you have all of those reintegrations, you have all of those very hard learnings, you have the ups and downs, you have those times where you're like, am I going to lose this person ultimately, whether it's by death or by destruction of his mental being because he's he's on the brink you know I mean there was sometimes he'd come home from training and one time we even had family there it was Sean and Kristen were there he had been sleep deprived for days he goes to bed one night and again you know we had been up and whatever he goes to bed he starts taking off the screens of the windows we're on we're three stories up opening the windows because he thinks he's building a hide and I'm, and he's like sleepwalking and I'm trying, and I'm like, babe, and you know, trying to stop him. But these, these are things that like, those are kind of run of the mill things. Yeah. Like I said, you're dealing with so many bizarre and then, you know, he would, he would sleepwalk and sometimes he'd want to get in a fight sleepwalking like, Hey, and I'm like, babe, you can't go downstairs. Like you're naked. Your brother and sister-in-law are here, <laughs> whatever. But like, you can see that stress. So like these things you you know, you learn from it and hopefully God willing as a couple, as an individual, each of us, and as a couple, you grow. And yeah, we fought hard on different things where I'm like, this is not how this is going to be. We're not going to be a statistic. We're not going to live our lives and have a crappy marriage. And so we, he probably has so many come to Jesus talks in his head. He said when he (laughs) did Ibogaine, like they all played all of the talks yeah. that we had had. Which was insane. Like phone calls I could hear um, that we had, you know, all the come to Jesus moments or you scolding me. <laughs> I still <laughs> Which do. was needed. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's that's the only reason, another only reason I'm here today or like doing so well is because she kept me to a standard. You know, she didn't let those things fly, which, you know, some spouses do. They're just like, okay. I mean, she was very verbal like the next day, like, hey, that, that shit's not, that's not going to fly around here. And, you know, and I would do my best to try and make it work and not And do it was again. in love because I'm like, you're, yeah. this is not you. No. Like you're capable of better. We're capable of better. And I had an amazing mentor. She's still a really good friend of mine, Mary, who she had nothing to do with the military, but she had such a heart for the military. And she told me, she's like, you, because there was, believe me, there was times in our career where I was like, screw this, I'll go crazy with you. And and she was like, you are like a pendulum. When they go off the rails, you're there to buffer him. So like if you go with him, then you're both going to go. <laughs> we'll just keep going. We'll yeah. just keep going. And then I learned quickly, like, I cannot out-crazy him. So <laughs> I was like, this is done. And so, yeah, we have a lot of good stories about, like, by the end of the night, like, I would just – Sometimes I just drop him in Coronado and I was like, you're done for the night. Good luck making it home because it was just the volatility there of like the not dealing with stuff that would come out. And I think all of those were stepping stones to how we grew through very molding, shaping, difficult times because we knew that like, hey, we're, we're in this crucible. You're either going to, we're either going to survive this and you're going to stay alive but at the end of the day, are we going to have anything left? Are we going to have a good marriage? Are we going to have productive children? Because 
we're putting it all on the line here and this the battle rhythm is not relenting so the the beautiful part was and and this is the thing people are so adverse to any type of like oh I just want to be happy I don't want any whatever and I can I can tell you we would not be the people that we are today without all of that past growth from hardship and trials and suffering truly and so to answer your question in the very longest way, <laughs> when it came to the end of his career, that deployment, like, it was a dream come true. Like, it, uh, our buddy who turned over with him was like, you're getting the golden egg. Like, this is a dream deployment that no one hits like this on this deployment. Like, he was basically tasked with clearing the remainder of Mazul. Um, we had hit our stride. Um, I had actually just lost my mom too, and so we had gone through that. Um, but we we were so competent in the field of like the SEAL teams navigating workups, deployments. Doesn't mean it was easy, but like I just can't say it enough. I feel like we were we were in the zone, and like so at home and and the kids. There was a lot of stuff that came up during that deployment with the kids. They were both going through teenagehood, and you know they're tired of their dad leaving, and I don't blame them. So there, it wasn't like it was easy peasy, but it was, um, it was like, okay, we're just going to keep taking one foot in front of the other. And he was being super successful. So he had gotten like number one platoon leading into that. And, um, I think number one chief, like he had got, he had gotten to the point where he had risen to the top and had all these accolades. Um, and so this platoon was a super defining moment. So when he was still team seven um, and they knew they were on the potential. So when he got all of those accolades, it actually boosts you to where you get exactly the deployments you want. Kind of, I guess it's kind of how it works. If you perform well, you get what you want. If you perform well. Yeah. If you, you know, if your platoon performs well during your workup, which is the training cycle before you yeah. deploy, um, then yeah, usually you get to pick like where you want to go or the team will pick it for you, but they're going to send the best platoon to the best spot. Yeah. Yeah. So when he got Missoula, it was like a huge deal. And then he was under, you were under like the Marines, which Marsoc, was also yeah. ironic because like his birth in the, in the, like the military was with the Marines. So he's kind of like half Marine cause he's a, he's a Navy medic. So the Navy outsources their medics to the Marines. So his, his whole first part of his career was with the Marines. So I thought that was interesting. Again, it's like a movie. It's like there's all these interesting little things that intersected with this last deployment. And um, it was just great. Like he was like top of the world. We're not that couple. Like we don't need to talk every day. We don't FaceTime every day. Like we can go, you know. But that came through experience as well. Exactly. I remember, yeah, our first platoon. Oh, no, that was not. We were Skyping yeah. every day and, yeah. you know, which – was fine you know it's like we both were but it's just not realistic especially because yeah. it's it's just harder to see him every day like gone on a screen and we have tons of pictures of the kids being raised like here's daddy in the laptop here's daddy <laughs> and it was like you know ryan eating and you know the kids like talking in the in the in the laptop you know but um so we had we had really got a really good like hitting our stride, battle rhythm, and I feel like I was kind of thriving in what I was doing. He was thriving in what he was doing. And every time, you know, he would call for the first majority of that deployment, it was just like, and you can't say much, but I was like, he's he's living his best life over there. He's having a blast. Yeah. So it was good. It's a good one. Yeah. And, yeah, I think, you know, all 
what happened after that obviously was, you know, a shit show. And I get, you know, I get asked or by people all the time, like, dude, how, how did you guys manage through that or, you know, handle yourselves so well through that whole thing? And obviously the first answer is God. It's like, we put our faith in God. And I also think a big contributing factor is coming up through the SEAL teams and just you build the amount of resilience that you build to adversity mm-hmm. um, really helped all of us out as a family, I think, going through that as well. Like my kids weren't, they weren't like, oh, cry, you know, crying or like, how can this happen? They were just like, yeah, this is okay. This is happening. Let's how are we how are we dealing with this yeah. let's keep pushing forward um and obviously she was steering the ship the whole time um so they were looking at her she was the example um cuz i was obviously locked up um but yeah i mean that's the one there's so many pros of being in the seal teams um i i honestly even though we're sitting here you know it's it can be tumultuous can be toxic i do think the pros outweigh the cons oh yeah for and sure that the big pro is the amount of resilience that you build up, especially if you're married with kids and you're able to maintain that, you become so much stronger as a family. So when you are faced with hardships, like the one we went through, Mm -hmm. it's not debilitating. It's just like, okay, this is the next obstacle that we have to overcome. And we overcome that, we'll become that much stronger. Yeah, yeah. But I do feel like when he, um, you know, and again, we wrote a book about it. Everyone can read it or listen to it on audio because it's like so in the weeds. It was it was years of our life. It was a lot. There's a lot of nuances and so much that people don't realize was going on and happening behind the scenes. And um, but it it definitely was. I think that's the theme of this is like the suffering and the hardships that we went through had, I think, gotten me and prepared me to get to that point where when he got back from that deployment and it was like, this is incredible, you know, we've done so well. He came home because, like, our daughter, there was, there was, like, some stuff that we were just – I was like, listen, I've never asked you to come home early. But I'm like, like, the kid, we're worn out, yeah. you know? Like, we're worn out, and we've we've done what we need to do here. Um, and you know, over the years that we were together through the, through that time, it was like the context of the people that were in it after nine 11 and that group, that our core group and our mentality of how we were culture wise. And then when you're there so long, you're in it 20 years, you know, you're in it all this time. I was like, this is this is not the same. Like we could, I could sense a chasm, like the whole, the whole world has sensed a chasm with the way that, you know, people have like, it's like that quote, you know, like hard times create, I don't know, hard men and soft times. But I just felt like these people coming in, obviously they didn't have the ability, they didn't have as much skin in the game. Right. Like, and they just, we were battle hardened veterans by that point. And it just felt like, okay, are we ready to close this chapter? Like the family's worn out, the kids are worn out. And so he came home early. Um, and then it kind of all started to unfold, even though our reintegration was incredible. He came back and it was like one of the best things. We had all of this like underlying shit storm brewing that we 
that, you know, the more he started to tell me, it started to become more apparent. There was like cracks that had showed during deployment and then all of that. But it was definitely, um, I took it one day at a time. I mean, I'm at home. So like he would go into the SEAL teams and it was just becoming more apparent. Like, okay, you're kind of getting shunned now. Like he went from coming home and they awarded him like the a very coveted training position. Like he was going to be training all of the people that were on the West Coast that were going into theater because he had just employed like the most incredible tactics. He cleared Mosul in half the time. He, I mean, from, from the hierarchy standpoint, from the top down, he was like a shining star. And so I was super proud. I was like, oh my gosh, little did I realize from the bottom down, <laughs> from him down, there, there was this toxic mess that had been brewing. And it was mostly from people that had really not been deployed before. They hadn't seen combat. And so, you know, for him, it's, it's easy to be like, that's, that's a dream deployment for someone that's seasoned and gone to combat eight times. Mm-hmm. For someone maybe that's never been deployed and never been shot at, that's a lot of trauma. And we had an intersect. And so he got put in this position. He was super happy. It was the exact position that he wanted it. What was it, trade at? Yeah, it was the training detachment becoming yeah. a uh, senior enlisted advisor at uh, Sauk. Yeah. yeah. So, again, that was, like, very coveted because he got to take all of the stuff that he learned on the ground and then train and teach everyone that was going out to deploy on the West Coast into theater, which is, like, that's the way it should go, right? Like, you you need that boots-on-the-ground tactical um, awareness. So again, I just felt like we were like, boom, 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 hitting all the wickets. And then it was like, at least he was not going to be deployed. I think that billet was roughly supposed to be like two years. Right. And then he wouldn't have stopped. He would have kept going inevitably. I know him enough to know that. Um, so it would have taken us 20, but then he would have, he probably would have ridden out to 50 if they would have let him. So, Um, but that didn't happen because yeah, he basically got locked up. He got put in jail and this was prior to any real hardcore investigation only in the military and under the UCMJ, which this is what's confusing for people because people think, first of all, if you've never been in the legal system as a civilian, the legal system is confusing even for people at a civilian level. You don't even want to get into Military service members that sign on the dotted line are unwittingly a part of not our civil system. They're a part of, and I say unwittingly because at that time when you're 18, you're not really thinking, okay, if I eventually get screwed, I'm going to kangaroo court system of UCMJ where it's like, and you hear the horror stories of like, um, you know, medical or dental in the military, right? Like they're getting trained in the military. It's a whole ecosystem to be dentist and, you know, doctors. Well, there's people that are training and they're lawyers. And would they be a competent civilian lawyer? No, you wouldn't hire them as a civilian, but that's what you get. So um, when he got in trouble um, and it was apparent that this was going to go, this was going to tip from rumor mill lies and falsehoods to like, okay, this is getting real. Like they're raiding our home. They're taking our kids out at gunpoint. And that's when it clicked for me because he had been going into work. They had pulled him from the training detachment. They had basically sat him in a corner. They were like hands off, like, oh, well, um," and this was his command. This This is who he had literally been giving his whole life 
putting first, right? And so I'm here like, this is so ironic because <laughs> I really feel like I knew all along that this was not healthy and this is an idol, but I was a willing participant and like, I get it. We're all involved. This is the mission. This is what we need to do. And I was like, huh, so you're going to tell me that this command that has taken my husband, that has taken from my children, that has basically left him riddled with unresolved issues and trauma on physical, mental, emotional, is now going to do nothing and sit on the sidelines while he's pretty much like roped into this bull crap. And it was a real like clarion call for me. And I was like still confident. I was like, no, you know, we're going to trust the system here. This isn't happening. Like there's no way this is happening. And then sure enough, it was happening. And the command abandoned us. The community abandoned us. And we kind of got a scarlet letter. When they raided our home, it was actually very smart, very strategic. Because when they raid your home, and I will give people the benefit of the doubt here. From their perspective, they're like, that doesn't just happen. You had to do something wrong for that to happen. Mm. Because it's too scary for people to think that it could happen otherwise. And that's what I've learned. That's the biggest lesson I've learned is that people don't really want to know the truth. And that's a reflection of our society right now. It's more comfortable to live in denial because the truth right now, and even for us then, it was too scary to fathom. And that's what all of our friends were like, uh, because it could have been their husbands and it could be them and it could be their kids. And that's actually why I fought so hard, even though I love him and I was fighting for him and my children. I was fighting for our whole community. I was like, this is bullshit. They're, they're going to, and this would set a precedent. If they're going to, to try to do this and trump up charges that didn't exist, that's no evidence, no physical, no evidence, just hearsay, rumors, and lies. And we had seen more of it in the teams. We had seen that this was kind of a tactic, like people – the younger generation was kind of like taking out some older generation people by like they'd pair up in twos and threes and spin up a story. And, and it was becoming kind of prevalent. And that's what I was like, this is not the community that we were a part of at the onset. Like I was all in for that community and my brother, those people, like I said, those people are my brothers, like Aaron and Brad who sat me down. They didn't even know who I was. We weren't even married at that point. And they said, do not, he would go to the bathroom, we'd be at Danny's, and I've said this about Brad before, but Brad sat me down, and he was like, don't worry, because he knew I didn't know anything, and he's like, I will die for him, I will take a bullet for him, and I don't think he would ever realize how much that did for me, you know, and he, he's gone now. I remember having a poignant conversation with Eddie in Coronado, and we were with Brad's mom and dad, and he had already passed, and Aaron, who had already passed. So, like, the gingerbread house crew. And with both of their families, both of their sons are dead. And we had put up a new picture of Aaron in, um, in Danny's. And then afterwards, we left and went to McPee's. And I was just like, I mean, I had a moment. It was a spiritual mm. moment. And I, again, he probably heard it when he died again. Because <laughs> I, I always get like, for, God gives me like foreshadowing. He's like, you're a little prophet. Um, 
But I sat there and I was like almost shaking. And I was like, this is before any of the trauma happened, yeah. right? It was like, but were you back? This was. I'm trying to think of the timeline. I think right after I came back. Okay. Yeah. And I sat there and I just with tears pouring down my face and I was like, this community is not what it was. Like we need to get out. Um, these guys and our friends that are still alive, they would fall on an IED. They would take a bullet. They would do anything for you. I was like, and we weren't even into the trial or anything yet. I, but I was like, you got to get out at 20 because I feel like these guys would shove you in front of an IED to write a book about it. Like they're not in it for the same reason. They weren't like this, this lifer. They were like stepping stone seals. They were like, let me go and do this and then I'll be a seal. And there's tons of great people in the community that aren't like that. But it just so happened. It, it felt like his platoon at that point was kind of full of these people. Yeah. Like true it, believers. Yeah. Not like we believers. talked about uh, with Beto. Yeah. On the last podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's what it is. And that's like Beto's like my brother. And like, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like, those are the men that I was accustomed to. The guys that he was with were not men in yeah. my eyes they yeah. were boys and i believe they experienced a ton of trauma and they needed someone to blame and they blamed eddie yeah. and you know i mean at the end of the day i think um we were called to go through it i felt that very very specifically from the onset i knew that god was by the time that our home had been raided we relocated he was actually getting ready to get out he was screening for like ground branch or like the cia and then he was you know going through all of that and we were going to start a new life but he was going to go right back into contracting like he was addicted mm -hmm. he was addicted to deploying and all of that and so i feel like in a weird way like as horrible as it is and as horrible as the situation was god had a bigger plan for us and i feel like him being thrown in jail <laughs> accomplished a lot of things. Um, <laughs> it, was it gave a him. It was. It gave him some solitude. It gave him a wake up call. Again, we had some poignant moments. I was like, "No one's coming to help you." Like, you know, and and they build their life on brotherhood, community, and they'll they'll always be here. And I was like, "Honey, I'm the last man standing, and your brother, and that's it. Like, th they're not helping us." And they're going to throw you under the bus and they're not going to help us and they're not going to do anything. And so it's something inside of me arose that, like he said, it's always been there, but I haven't had to like activate it. But I was like, oh, hell to the no. <laughs> no, no, this is not how this is going to go down. And yeah, so they they um, grabbed him out of NICO. He was in a brain treatment clinic, again, like preparing to exit the military, start, you know, maybe contracting and just checking all the boxes because you got to get your VA paperwork in line. You got to track all of the stuff. And I mean, he had had like over 40 to 50 like concussive events. He had all, all, all this stuff. And then the additional stress and trauma of this underlying thing that was growing into a monster with this, you know, investigation of nothing. Yeah. And so um, we had relocated here. A lot of people aren't aware of this, but our home in San Diego where we had raised the kids is the one that got raided. And they raided it because we were moving the next week. And so they raided it. That was traumatic. The boys got pulled out at gunpoint. And then we ended up um, at the end of June beginning. We were here by 4th of July in, what was it, 2017? Yeah. 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 
So 2017, so like basically 10 years after we reconnected. So this is all in a 10-year span from reconnecting in 2007, getting married in 2008, moving to San Diego, and then by 2017, we had gone through all of that trauma, then cap it off with a home raid right before the relocation, which really kicks off the investigation, quote-unquote, um, and then all of that. But 4th of July, we were here. He was kind of geo-batching it, so he would stay here with us and kind of decompress, do what he needed to do. And I think he stayed for about 30 days was the longest span of time that you were in our home here. And then he went back and was doing all of his paperwork, completing NICO, and basically getting ready to exit the military um, or, like, on that route. Yeah, I still had about a, a year. Little, yeah, a little less than a year left. Yeah, because this would have been 2019 by yeah. this point. So home raid was in June of 2018, and then this relocation was 2018 because you got we, you got out of the military in 2019. Yeah, oh. that's sorry, it's all a blur. Yeah, it, it, it was, is all a blur. But with that being said, then you know, um, we just were like, okay, at least we have a trajectory. At least we know like he's getting out. I felt good about that. I was like, this is not what it was. We need to call an end to this. You know, that you had a good run. Um, you had an awesome last deployment, but this is not this is not what I want to be a part of anymore, and I can't condone or be a part of it because I don't I'm not in agreement anymore with what's going on in that community or the way. And we just got belt, dealt a bad hand. I'm not saying the community's bad. I just that what happened on that last deployment was just defining for us. It shaped us, and then we we're like, okay, we need to move on. So we were sat on that trajectory, and then September 11th came of 2018, and they ripped him out of NICO and they put him in jail, and he sat in jail. Um, which again, didn't know that could happen. That's the blessing of the UCMJ and the military. So when you sign on the dotted line, people just remember there's a lot more that you're signing into that you don't know that they don't bother to tell you either. So I learned, uh, through the gauntlet of the UCMJ, I learned firsthand about the incompetence of NCIS. Um, I learned a lot about the community and I straight up told people in the community very high up. I said, if you go through with this and if you turn this nothing into something, it will be the one of the biggest black eyes on NSW you will ever see. And I think I delivered on that. Uh, nope. Yeah. Maybe over-delivered. <laughs> that's possible. Is there such a thing? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Hey, that, so one, one thing real quick. It, like, so after all that, and I'm not, I won't, I won't dive in the trial because. It's so much. There's so yeah. much. There's, I mean, still today, like I learned little pieces of other stuff. I'm like, geez, Louise. But like. Yeah. After it, you took what was honestly what y'all were truly, really victims in, and then not playing a victim, y'all turned around and made it now mm -hmm. like y'all are helping other people to get stuck in the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you and know? I'm I'm truly, again, I can't say it enough how much. So the day he got taken from NICO, I was listening to a podcast, and it was all about the story of Joseph in the Bible and the 50, 20 rule, which is what God meant for evil or if what well, you meant for evil, God meant for good. <coughs> and so I was listening to this podcast and it was all about his brothers and how they betrayed him, abandoned him, threw him in a pit, left him for dead. And he could have been a victim of his circumstances. Right. And he, his life was tumultuous. And this guy has a very pretty good reputation. He's either good deal Eddie or He's getting some type of trauma. <laughs> like, he's, he's had so many weird, bizarre things or falls or, you know, getting hit with objects or whatever. Yeah, so. the luckiest, unluckiest team guy ever. Yes, yeah. yes. That's the perfect way to say it. So, um, 
that morning when I talked to him and he was at NICO and he was learning a lot, right? It was on September 11th and he was in some type of a therapy, music therapy session with the group. And again, he's always a leader. So he was kind of standing out in the group. The, pe- the people that were running NICO were like, dude, you know, you're really helping the, to cultivate like a good environment here because you're putting in the work and therefore other people can put in the work, you know? So he was really showing up there, which I was proud of. And I, and I knew I was like, he's got all this backlog of trauma in the caboose. That's like, you know, we need to address before this train collides off of the rails. And so, um, we had an awesome conversation and, um, I didn't hear from him the rest of the day. (coughs) And thereafter, um, yeah, they, when they put him in jail, I think that was super eye opening because it was clarifying for him. It was time for him to decompress and get some much needed like perspective. Um, and then it was also for me, I think if he was sitting next to me, I could have kept like not, I could, I wouldn't have activated in the way that I did, but when they took my husband who's a natural leader, natural warrior, and they socked him away in a jail cell, I was like, this is, number one, it's pathetic. It's weak. And it was a scapegoat because they wanted him to suffer and be silenced and not to have anyone to help him because they also really made it clear to everyone in the community, if you get involved, if you say anything, if you support. So so we had a handful of support during the time and people that really showed up for us, but it really clarified, like, who's there for you when the chips are down? Most of those people were from our first platoon, that yeah. family that yeah. we that we had. And, and there was others, too. There was others, there was but I'm saying mo- most there's, of them. There's, there's a couple of people majority. up in Tana Boulevard. That- well, <laughs> you guys, yeah, you definitely came after. You guys are awesome. The Ventana crew is the crew, man. Um, Shout out SEAL Team 38. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Dave's not but, an honorary member. Yes. Did you did you see it as like the Joseph story back then? Of, did you start to Oh, 100%. That? It was every day, day in and day out, I would go back to that. And God clearly told me in like audible, but not like audible, but like I can hear it audibly in my head. And he's like, this is not just about you. This is for a bigger purpose, and that's all I needed to hear. And I knew that so many of my brothers and their wives, which are my sisters, and their families were still there. And if this would have been something that they would have run him over and locked him up, it would have set a domino effect that would have created havoc on that community. And... You know, because we can't be second-guessing our warriors. We can't send people over there and then, you know, someone gets butthurt or has hard feelings when they come back. And that's another thing. We were not used to that. Our culture that we were in was like, yes, you respected each other. You had reintegration time. People focused on family. But were they coming – were they blaming each other? No. We didn't have that. I mean, Eddie Eddie had tons of people that shaped his career and, you know, older guys and team guys. And was there – probably shit that shouldn't have gone down probably and not and even the respect even from a training aspect stuff that used to go on but it's like that's a part of the culture and now it's like oh boo-hoo cry me a river it's like get get over it it's special operations your guys are the one percent of the one percent 
it, it was it was unheard of, like the trajectory of the weakness that was being bred during that time in that specific nucleus. I'm not saying the SEAL teams as a whole. I'm saying we just, it was just, it was like, I tell people it was like a million points of light of how we got there. It was so unique. And we had never experienced anything like that before. But the culture was not like the blaming and whatever, the culture is mostly a unified, like we're all in this together. And we just had that exact opposite and it just got toxic. And so at the point where we really were in it, um, he continued to be locked up. We, we didn't know what was going to happen. It was, I was learning the roadmap, right? So we've taken that roadmap. He ended up being incarcerated for nine and a half months. That was before his trial. Mm -hmm. So forget about innocent until proven guilty. That's not a thing. That was not a thing for him. That was his his constitutional rights were violated. He was there was all types of stuff that went on in that brig. He was targeted for sure. It was like a conspired effort with all of these these facets of people and entities and there's so much corruption that's bred during that time and it it's just again it's a lot to go there's, into. Yeah. So we won't go into it, but I will say that um, my brother-in-law, Sean, and I basically trailblazed a path that became an undeniable, like, grassroots that turned into a freight train of, like, this injustice is not going to stand. And not only is it not going to stand for us, it shouldn't stand for you. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, um, when he got out, he got out only 30 days before his trial. They inhibited from him from seeing his lawyer. So the right for legal counsel was basically, you know, was not a thing. And again, you have to think about it in the context of a military service member. A military service member is, is used to being told what to do, right? So the military is like, hey, by the way, like you're under investigation by this internal. So it's, it's all a web of corruption. So it's like you have your command and then you have your unit of like investigatory body. In our case, it's NCIS, right? So NCIS is doing the investigation. The command's not helping. NCIS is like setting you up. There's corruption all about you're locked up in a brig that's also there's a corruption ring in there. And then they're withholding legal counsel, but they're like, oh, here, we're going to give you a lawyer that we've trained up to be a part of this corruption. That wasn't even incompetence. That lawyer they gave me was uh, he lived four or five hours uh, north of where we were. And he straight up told me after he he came in two months into my uh jail time and said I won't be able to come down here to represent you because I don't even live here he's like and he straight up said I don't know why they assigned me to you oh but we do yeah and it was, it was it's, it's it all was set obvious. up and so think about even from a special operations perspective like people in the military don't make that much money even in special operations it was like by the end of it when like Obama was in charge like we were basically paying for him to be in the military because the purse strings were non-existent so like it, it, it's just like if you think about the burden of on a family financially to find legal representation that's competent on a military salary, even a special operations salary, I mean, the entire deck is stacked against you. And so we learned all of that firsthand, but we were able to get a groundswell. We started to, um, we united with a, an incredible nonprofit. And this is, there was a corrupt nonprofit, um, United American Patriots, which we found out was, again, part of the corruption ring. 
and we fired them. We were working also the entire time systematically with Navy SEALs Fund, who, um, amazing, amazing nonprofit. They are 100% above board. All the money goes to the family. They set up the website. So Rachel and Drago, he was a former team guy. Um, He's like, um, he has an incredible story as well. Yeah, he's got a book coming out soon. Yeah, and so Rachel and Drago like came alongside of us. They helped us create a website. They created a fundraising portal. And so Navy SEALs Fund fundraised for us to be able to fire the corrupt legal team and the nonprofit that was just completely, they, their intention was to put him in jail um, so that they can continue to fundraise off of him. And then um, they basically enabled us to raise the half a million dollars it took to defend Eddie. Mm. So they, um, yeah, our legal bills were well above over half a million dollars by the sure. time it was said and done. Yeah. Yeah. But then you took it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up here yeah. in a second for you. Uh, you took that, both of you guys, y'all took that and... You didn't just stop and say, "Hey, we won." Um, let's 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 just, w- w- which rightly so. Like, let's just be a family. Finally, let's just relax. Like, you you've taken it, and now you guys are trying to help other people and starting your own foundation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So even before he exited the military in 2019, my brother-in-law and I had successfully traversed like the government, congressional support. We got the attention of, at that time, Donald Trump, the president of the United States. Um, we had built a well oil machine that was built around saving Eddie, but we knew that, and I, I tell people, we saw behind a curtain we never knew existed, right? And sometimes I think God puts you in a position where there's no way that in good conscience I could see this level of corruption mm-hmm. and just go away and be like, oh, thank God I got out of that. Like, I think that would be the most negligent and irresponsible thing as a human to not pay it forward mm. to other people. Well, yeah, well, especially, I mean, with how big the story got, the amount of support we got from just the American people mm-hmm. um, due to my brother Sean and, and Andrea's uh, campaign. And then, you know, when I was in there, I would have com- phone conversations with her about these kids that were in there with me and, telling her you know like this is not right like some of these kids are in here for years mm-hmm. for making a simple mistake and their lives are pretty much ruined because they're going to get out with dishonorable discharges um and that's i mean that all accumulated and we decided to you know do something about it and so yeah we started the uh, pipe hitter foundation mm-hmm. um and now i think we, we started that directly right after I oh yeah retired. you weren't even out of the military yeah. so we started the legal process of the paperwork to start the nonprofit, the 501c3 in the middle of 2019 towards the end he didn't even get out and even after the trial it wasn't over for us we had the trial and he was basically you know we were done with the trial per se by like right before the 4th of july in 2019 the hits kept coming all the way until he exited the military. Like they were trying to take stuff away from him. It, there's so much, but um, we felt very strongly about creating the nonprofit. And so we got approval of April of 2020. So right when COVID was kicking off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but again, that's uh, the interesting thing about that too, is I also think that Eddie and I, I really look at it as God has positioned us as forerunners of things. And so I believe that our trauma that now we're able to 
blaze this trail for people that wouldn't otherwise have the ability or know that roadmap that we can get, we can give them like, okay, this is PR, this is fundraising, this is how you talk about the situation, this, you know, all of these things that we undergird and provide. So we provide it not only for service members, but we provide it for first responders, police, and their families. So it's like anyone that's in that, um, level of uh, basically all the heroes of our society that are getting screwed all the time now and especially through the course of we didn't know when we started it what was going to kick off and so 2020 which was the war on police Mm -hmm. we started the nonprofit and it was supposed to be for service members but we couldn't we could not not do the police because one of our biggest advocates and our um, advisor for our family during that time was Bernie Carrick, who was the police commissioner on 9-11. Mm-hmm. And Bernie was pivotal in strategic advising in our family, and he was also locked up, ironically. You'll meet a lot of people that the government locks up. Mm-hmm. And it's really eye-opening, and he helped us assemble our legal team. He was instrumental. I could call him anytime, day or night. I was losing my mind. I was like, dude, this is crazy. Like, and it was like a horror story. A com- it was a, you could call it a comedy of errors, although it was not funny. And it was like we were up against it on all angles. And he was just always such a voice of reason. He helped assemble our legal team of Tim Parlatori, Mark Mukasey, um, and the many people that were involved in it. And so I just can't say enough. Like his impact then, again, I feel like God laid it on our hearts. We cannot leave out the police or first responders, like they face the same thing. They don't make enough money. They get put in these impossible situations. They get up against a legal battle. They lose their livelihood. Their, their careers are stripped from them. People that that's their core, right? Eddie's core is to be a Navy SEAL. People's core is to be a cop or first responder. It's all taken away. And so we um, added that component in. And then again, I mean, what I've seen happen to the police during these last few years. I mean, our, our country should be ashamed. Um, and there's things that can be righted, but there's too many wrongs that have come out of all of that. And so we're currently representing multiple police. Um, we're representing different service members. And we assist with their families, too, because we know how that feels as well. I know how it feels to be a woman that's not able to, you know, maybe um, care for your family in the way that you need to because your livelihood is stripped away. Maybe your husband's in jail or your, your financial monetary, you know, contributor has, it's been taken away. And so I'm super proud of our nonprofit and we have an amazing, one of my best friends is our executive director. She's incredible. Dina Cruden. I'll give her a shout out. She's my girl. Um, she runs the bulk of that. We have an incredible board of directors and, um, we're changing lives, you know, and it's like, I do honestly feel like God allowed us to go through that. I think that that's what he was saying to me at that time. He was telling me it's bigger than me and Eddie and just our families and our kids. Um, although that would have ruined our lives, um, it it was about defending the rights of the people in the SEAL teams and the men mm-hmm. and women that put their lives on the line. And so I think we've done a we've done a pretty good job of like um, just not backing down and showing people like look, this was a horrible situation and it was pretty much a big bunch of bull crap, but they were going to hang him out to dry. They had him on life without parole Mm. after serving 20 years. Like, it's crazy. You can't go through an adverse situation like that. And you, I mean, 
this is for anybody out there too. Like if you go through a huge obstacle or an adverse situation in your life and you are able to overcome it, you just don't walk away from that and be like, well, that's done. I'm going to move on to the next thing. You should be taking all the experiences that you gained from that and passing that off to others to help others. And that's what we're doing. I mean, we're not the type of people to go away either and be like, okay, we're going to go back into the shadows, even though at times, you know, for me, especially during transition, I, I definitely felt like doing that sometimes, but, you know, thank God I have her by my side who, you know, she'd pick me up by my straps and be like, we got to keep moving forward. Um, but that's, that's what you do. That's like how you help others. I mean, it's very easy to give up and like, Oh, I'm going to go back into my own space here. Um, but that's, that's not who we are yeah. as individuals. Yeah. Dude, I, we're going to have to close it on that. That's too good. That's a, that's a good word. Well, <laughs> Thank you so much, Andrea. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> I, we could literally have you on for I'm hours so and I'm so proud hours. of you both. I know Francesca <laughs> is, too. Yes. You guys have done such a good job. Oh, well, yeah. I appreciate it, babe. We are pretty great. Yeah. You guys are. <laughs> no, thank you both for coming on today. Um, yeah. We need to give Francesca another yeah, round. Yeah, she has to come, and you, we got to interview you. I cannot top that. No, yes, yes you can. can. Your story's amazing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Everybody's got a amazing. story. Yeah. 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 Thank you guys. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. All right. Out. <coughs> I got a piece. Dude, Andrew. That was so Jeez. good. Possibly Holy the best smokes. one. Yeah, that well, was. I, I could have kept listening to you for another two hours. Dave, so. do I click the same button? My baby kills it every time. Yeah, both. Okay.